You're listening to the Foundation Podcast. This is The Chase, bringing you everything you need to know about policies affecting you, your family, and your community. I'm Andrew Brown. And I'm James Quintero. Welcome to another exciting episode of The Chase, brought to you by that thing you eat to get you through session. You know what I'm talking about. How's it going, James? Pretty good. You know, Andrew, I've got a question for you. Our program's called The Chase. Is that a noun or a verb? It can be whatever you want it to be. Smooth answer. For bonus points, put in the comments what the chase refers to. There is a clue in the logo. Ooh, I like the mystery. Excellent. We need audience engagement. (laughs) So last week, Governor Abbott released his budget priorities for the 2022-2023 biennium. James, what stood out to you? Property tax reform. So one of the items included in the governor's budget is strengthening Senate Bill 2, which was passed last session, and it really uh, reined in local property tax growth. The legislature is primed to go in this session and shore up some of the uh, weaknesses that we saw develop over the interim. Very excited to see the governor put a lot of importance on that issue. What stood out to you? A couple of things in uh, the child welfare arena stood out. Uh, The governor, again, pushing for expansion of community-based foster care. This is a really positive move, uh, giving local communities more responsibility for caring for their most vulnerable citizens. Uh, He also focused on the foster care lawsuit compliance. As many of our listeners know, the state of Texas has been embroiled in a lawsuit over the state of its foster care system under the old legacy bureaucracy. And the governor is focused on improving foster care, but in order to sustain those improvements made, we need greater oversight and accountability for the Department of Family and Protective Services. And one tool that the legislature can employ for that is the efficiency audit. Now, this is something we've written extensively on. You can find our research at texaspolicy.com. But basically, an efficiency audit looks at the money spent by an agency and compares it to the results actually achieved. So states that have incorporated regular efficiency audits as part of their oversight model have seen impressive results in improving outcomes while simultaneously reducing the cost to taxpayers. How controversial. It doesn't seem like it should be, does it? Um, The other big thing was homelessness. And one of the really interesting pieces to me was the governor said that cities that receive state money for homelessness alleviation, if they don't enforce a camping ban, then they're not going to get that money. So if you want, as a city, to benefit from state grants for homelessness alleviation, you have to enforce your bans on public camping. And where did that come from, do you think? Oh, gee. What city do I live in, right? Yeah, I think that's an Austin thing. Which, by the way, I am informed uh, the city council here in the great, uh, in the In Austin. You know, I can talk eventually. I don't know. But Austin is supposed to take up. I had nowhere to go. (laughs) But Austin City Council is supposed to take up a a portion of the camping ban later this week. Uh, It's to be seen where they eventually land on that issue. I know they're feeling a lot of pressure from the community. Should be interesting to see kind of some of the local politics play out. Absolutely. And speaking of pressure from the community, James, I saw something about a bond in Richardson, $750 million. Believe it or not, another school district is moving forward with a huge bond. Uh, I, I know, hard to believe. But yes, just last night, Richardson ISD voted to put a $750 million bond before voters. This would 
basically double the district's outstanding debt. So hold on to your wallet's taxpayers. What, what are they planning to spend that money on? Uh, a lot of stuff. <laughs> I mean, three quarters of a billion dollar in a time when kids aren't in school. That's that's surprising. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Uh, you know, I, I think there are some needs wrapped in there, but there's a lot of wants as well. And unfortunately, that's what you're seeing uh, from a lot of school districts these days is they they, they put they mix needs with wants and uh, and they unfortunately end up raising taxes on taxpayers at the worst possible time. So one of the things that we're advocating for at the local level is for school districts, cities, and counties to voluntarily undergo a third-party efficiency audit, much like my friend Mr. Brown mentioned earlier. What we want to do is have an outside party come in, look at the way things are run, and figure out if there are ways to stretch a buck. Maybe something to do these days when people are out of work and struggling to put food on the table. And so by doing that, what we can do is potentially identify waste, fraud, and abuse that can go to paying for facilities and long-term capital projects over time. You right? crazy man with your controversial ideas. <laughs> you and your common sense. Well, and, and, and just to show you the extent of the problem, because Richardson ISD really isn't the only entity that is overspending we had some new data come out last week that shows we have 375 billion, billion with a B, uh, dollars worth of total local debt in this state. That's about $12,750 owed for every man, woman, and child in the great state of Texas. So we have, uh, we have a lot of room to improve there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a little bit of good news before we enter into our deep dive segment. Um, at the early days of the pandemic, there were news reports constantly in local media outlets warning of a coming uh, child abuse epidemic as a result of the COVID shutdowns and more kids being at home without supervision from teachers and schools. We were warned that we're going to see kids coming into foster care left and right because of COVID. Turns out the data is coming out and the federal government, uh, child welfare officials who run the Department of Health and Human Services and the Children's Bureau said there's no evidence to support those warnings. So great news. There wasn't an increase in child abuse as a result of the pandemic. Now, why that is, is something that I tackle in a piece that just was published in The Hill that you can find on our website, texaspolicy.com. I'm going to give a little bit of a teaser, but it has to do with what happens to reports of abuse when they're ultimately investigated and how few are actually substantiated. So if you want more information on that and how we can do a better job of protecting the most vulnerable in our society, check out uh, my new piece in The Hill. Wow, what a name drop there, published in the hill. How a, fancy. That is a nerdy, he, nerdy name drop. <laughs> Here I am content to publish on the Canon Online, which is our brand new communications platform. Very much looking forward to see how this develops over time. I think it's a great new outlet for us. It's no The Hill, but uh, I think it's going to do a fantastic job on its own. We're inviting all of our state and local elected officials to submit content on their own. Of course, it has to jive with the foundation's mission, but so long as it does, we welcome 
all comers at the state and local elected levels. Honestly, it's better than The Hill because we're bypassing the elite legacy media and bringing the news and opinion that matters most directly to the public without having to go through gatekeepers who really don't want to hear the kinds of ideas that come from the grassroots and uh, organizations like the Texas Public Policy Foundation. So check out the canon online. That's right. No gatekeepers other than our very own Crystal Bonham. She's uh, she's the one and only gatekeeper. The only one that matters to you and me. <laughs> one of the things that just came out, actually, as we're recording this, Texas Public Policy Foundation brand new statewide polling on a number of issues. James, tell us a little bit about the poll. Oh, did that just happen? I, I, I hadn't noticed. But yes, our communications team has absolutely done a fantastic job taking the foundation in a new direction over the last couple of years with polling. And so uh, what we do is we, uh, we've uh, been able to contract with WPA Intelligence to survey Texans' attitudes on some of the top issues, uh, not only that uh, we care about, but that Texans care about a lot. And so uh, we've got some great new polling information. One item that was recently pulled was child welfare. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It was. And one of my favorite items from that poll is the community-based foster care model. I referenced this during opening shots. It's giving local communities greater responsibility for caring for children in foster care. A full 76% of Texans support giving local, private, and nonprofit charities more responsibility for caring for kids in foster care. Now, what's really cool about this is it's up from when we polled on this issue in March of last year that had support for community-based foster care at 62%. Now, I'm still digging into the background information on that number, but I suspect some of that increase in support was related to that new model operating in more areas of the state. And so as more Texans are exposed to the model and see the benefits that community-based care provides for the foster care system, the more they like it. Another item was 80% of Texans agree with limiting the ability of CPS to separate a child from his or her family to only those cases where the child is at an immediate risk of harm. And this is an important change from current CPS practice that sets a much lower bar for removing a child from their home. Actually, if you look at the legal standard that CPS operates right now, it's roughly equivalent to a traffic ticket in terms of the amount of evidence that they have to have. So 80% of Texans want to see fewer kids in foster care and think that restraining CPS's ability to just remove kids and focus the system back towards preventing kids from going into the system is the right direction to go. Wow, I'd want to know a little bit more about that 20% who didn't agree with it. Yikes. You're telling me. Last piece on child welfare, 87% of Texans agree that CPS should only be allowed to list a person's name in a government registry of perpetrators of child abuse after a court has determined that the person is actually guilty of the alleged abuse. James, you're looking at me quizzically, and the answer to the question that you're thinking is, <laughs> yes, you can be listed on a government database of child abusers before a court determines whether or not you're actually guilty. All it takes is one investigator to make an administrative decision, and that happens without court oversight and even before the investigation is fully complete. And once you're on that list, it's incredibly difficult to get off and can even prohibit you from holding certain jobs, volunteering, or attending activities with your children. 
Well, as the father of five, I can only wish you the best this session because uh, clearly I have a lot riding on the line. You have a lot of skin in the game, my friend. Did you have a lawsuit with that? There was a lawsuit with yeah, that. Actually, um, we were amicus counsel on the Pardo case, which some of our listeners may have followed last year where a child was wrongfully removed from his family. And that case made it all the way up to the Texas State Supreme Court. The Texas Supreme Court returned the child, ordered the immediate return of the child because there was no evidence to support the removal. The family, however, remained on the central registry and had to go through a separate legal process to challenge their listing, and it was only recently removed within the last couple months from that registry. Mm. Even though the Supreme Court said there was nothing there. Yikes. Well, on a different polling question, one of the, thing my, one of the things my colleagues asked of registered voters around the state is whether or not they wanted to see more evidence and justification provided by local governments who declare disasters. These are the tiny tyrants you're talking These about. These are the tiny tyrants. And, uh, you know, it, it's been a huge frustration of mine to watch as all of our uh, large cities and counties have issued these diktats, right? Who, who impose these burdensome regulations and limit our freedoms, but they do so without providing factual evidence. And so we, uh, we, ran, we ran, went around the state and asked fellow Texans whether or not they would like to see more evidence provided before local governments can just go off willy-nilly and issue these disaster declarations. And it turns out most Texans agree with us. About 60% of Texans surveyed, according to this poll, want local governments to provide evidence before they can move forward with regulations on businesses and those that limit individual liberty. So a breath of fresh air there from my fellow Texans uh, who agree we need more transparency. That's great news. Yeah, 40% that said, no, we're actually too busy in Cabo to answer the call <laughs> to give us an Savage, Producer Crystal, savage. Uh, I would be curious as to providing that evidence. In your mind, what would that look like? How would a city go about providing the evidence to support their disaster? Sure, look, I'm not looking for anything fancy. Really, what I want, I want these local bodies to do is to say, look, based on such and such empirical evidence that we believe is factually true, we're going to take this action. Let's put our cards on the table and say, because of this, we're going to do that. It's really not a huge ask. We're just asking to see the evidence that they are basing uh, their decisions on. Seems reasonable to me. Speaking of our next item, I believe you had some uh, additional polling information on homelessness. On homelessness. Texans dislike public camping and overwhelmingly support linking housing with supportive services. So we, 55% of the Texans we polled said that they oppose city policies that allow homeless individuals to camp anywhere they wanted as long as it wasn't on private property, blocking doorways or right-of-ways, or endangering public safety. Now, by contrast, only 37% of Texans expressed support for public camping at all. Now, what's really interesting about this is that those who say that they strongly oppose public camping, 42% of Texans, outnumbered the entirety of those who said they supported camping, likely because those people were in Cabo. <laughs> well, let, me, let me ask you a serious question, though. Before places like the city of Austin allowed public camping, where were those folks? You know, they were 
in shelters many times. Um, they would find beds in some of the great service providers that we have here uh, that are doing great work to care for the homeless in our community. You know, many of them did camp in the woods or other areas that weren't in concentrated public areas. You know, that presents its own set of risks, uh, but which leads to what's really important about the second question that we asked around linking services to housing. We want to reach folks, even if they are camping in the woods, we want them to come out of homelessness and incentivize them to come out of homelessness. So a major focus of the work that we've been doing has focused on addressing the root causes of homelessness by requiring those who receive housing to participate in services targeted at helping them rise above their homelessness. And it turns out Texans agree by a large margin. A full 84% of those we polled said that they strongly agree that people experiencing homelessness should be required to participate in services like mental health counseling, substance abuse treatment, or job training as a condition of receiving housing that's paid for with taxpayer dollars. So Texans are a very compassionate people. They understand that homelessness is not just a housing issue, that there are many complex, nuanced conditions that underlie somebody's experience of homelessness, and we want to target those things so that that person can have an opportunity to prosper. Well, it actually, it sounds like a, a very compassionate approach, and, and I commend you on the good work you're doing. Speaking of good work, we have our a, number one issue for session. Oh, is it our number one? That's what I've been told. Well, <laughs> so we have a, a little bit of an idea around here that lobbyists shouldn't get paid with tax dollars to argue for more government. It's a rather controversial. So the guys that are eating dinner at three forks down the street. On the, our dime? On our dime. <laughs> yes. They shouldn't be doing that. Uh, and, and so one of the things we're asking the legislature to move forward with this session is to prohibit contract lobbyists from being paid with public tax dollars. And uh, as it turns out, a lot of people agree with us. So uh, we are on the right side of public opinion on this issue. And as a matter of fact, nine out of 10 Texans surveyed by our most recent poll agree with us that local governments should not use property tax and sales tax money to pay lobbyists to go up to the Capitol and argue for higher taxes, more spending, and bigger government. So we're on the right side of this issue. It gives me a lot of confidence that not only uh, are, are we doing what's popular, but we're also, because I, I know our issue well, we're doing what's right. So uh, it, it's, uh, it's a rather welcome sign that uh, all, so many Texans across the political spectrum agree with us. Matt, that is great news. And if you all are interested in seeing more of this polling, not just on the areas that James and I focus on, but across all areas that the foundation focuses on, that was released on Tuesday. I believe this is going to come out on Wednesday. So for you all, it's already in the marketplace of ideas. Go to texaspolicy.com to do a deep dive on our recent polling numbers. James, any other big things in your world? Well, speaking of popular hyperlinks, let me also encourage our audience to go to texaspolicy.com backslash tax, where our audience can sign up to join us uh, in our pledge to ban taxpayer-funded lobbying, or as my comms team likes to say, ban tax dollars going to lobbyists. 
we think this is going to make a big impression up at the state house and we want everybody on board with us again especially with this most recent polling information we know this is a broadly popular issue and we want to show that to our friends at the capitol with lots of signups so join us again at texaspolicy.com backslash tax Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. James, always good seeing you. And for our audience, thank you again for tuning into The Chase. We'll see you next week.